0: Great. Okay, David's going to bring us God's Word, and then Paul's going to come and share with us. Uh, Paul, actually, you'll introduce yourself a little bit, but Paul has been a great friend to Joe and I since we've been in Bath as well, and so thank you so much for coming to share as well.
1: The reading is in John 17, which is page 1085, in the green ones behind you. <laughs> Nobody sits in the front row, so it's got to be behind you. <laughs> Starting at verse 20, Jesus praying. My prayer is not for them alone, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them, and will continue to make you known, in order that the love you have for me may be in them, and that I myself may be in them. This is the word of the Lord.
0: some clear secret notes here. <laughs> <laughs> it's like your desk at home. Hi, good morning. Good morning. <sighs> thanks for your welcome and, um, and the familiar faces some of you have, and then I think, <gasps> what was their name, and all that awful struggle goes through, but thanks for your welcome. It's a it's, um, real treat to be with you here this morning. Um, I've really enjoyed the whole morning very very enriching except for one notice that really threw me it was Susie's notice and this is what she said there may be an Easter egg at the end of the walk I have a very very active grandson who is already looking forward to the walk on Friday and he's not interested in the walk so the May really threw me Like like the whole thing is, let's go for, no, when's the Easter egg, Papa? When is it? And now I have a May hovering over the Easter egg that he's promised. So forgive me having a struggle with that. Um, So, yeah, I know sharing this morning, I know that what I'm going to share, you've heard already. So I pray that as we just quickly share in some things about God's nature, that the Holy Spirit will somehow... Just turn the light on a little bit more to bring us closer to what he's really like. I pray that because we're so familiar with things that um, we need the Holy Spirit's light turning, operating, going on inside us, don't we? You won't go all quiet on me because I get very insecure when people are quiet. But let me just tell you a quick story. I'm going to watch that clock which is behind the chandelier deliberately. I can't see it. And it's an hour slow, so I've got so much time this morning. Anyways, about uh, five years ago, actually just over five years ago, there was a huge Thanksgiving service for Billy Graham. Did any of you see that? Uh, maybe you didn't. But anyways, it was, it was huge because of the nature of the statesman of faith he was. It was huge because of his renown. And they, I don't know, if you did see it, it was a massive marquee. And, um, you know, it was shown around the world, this huge homegoing of such a servant of God. And so everybody came, the great and the good in the Christian faith, and many others came to this celebration of Billy Graham's life. And actually the president and his wife, don't don't forget, don't remember who they were, the president and his wife and the vice president, there was just a huge gathering, and it was a wonderful occasion of the gospel. And people spoke amazingly, and there were hymns. And in the middle of it all, one of the speakers was an older lady who came up to this platform. And bear in mind the whole world, it was being shown in so many nations. And this lady came up and said, hello, my name's Ruth Graham. He was one of, she was one of his daughters. And the speeches had been so glorious about the wonderful things God had done in people's lives. And she started off as a daughter by saying, I'm the black sheep there was a kind of slightly uneasy silence as she began to tell her story. And her story went something like this. She said, I was married for many years and uh, my marriage went really wrong because of the nature of the husband she was married to was abusive. And she's suddenly telling this story and everybody's kind of going, have you remember what occasion this is? This is to kind of hold it all together. This is massive. This is going around the world. And she carries on her story And she says, and so in the end, I had to divorce my husband. And you can still, you can see the president over here and various people well-known over here. And she says, and so I had to move, and I moved to be closer to my sister, who was a very strong Christian speaker, lady. And she moved to be closer to her sister, and she quickly became involved in the church her sister went to. She's telling this story, don't forget, in this massive thanksgiving. And she said, when I got in the church, she said, unexpectedly, I met a man, and we fell in love together. And he was a, I think he was a, you know, he'd been married, but no longer was. And um, they quickly fell in love, and they so fell in love, they actually wanted to get married. So she phoned her daddy, Billy Graham, who was in another country, very excited, and said, Daddy, I've met a man, and daddy, daddy, da, and he wisely said, Darling, you've only it's not long since your marriage fell apart. Why did not you just wait a little bit? we we'll would like to meet him when we come back. And other people said the same thing. And she kind of said, she said, she said this publicly. She said, I was so rebellious and independent. I went ahead and married the man by the end of that year. I think it was November. She told her daddy. She married this man by the end of the year. And she said, on the first week of her new marriage, She knew she'd done the wrong thing, because he was also abusive. This is Billy Graham's daughter telling the story to the whole world. And she said she had to run away from that marriage, and she felt so dreadful because of how she'd been, as she described, my sinful independence. She felt so dreadful, she went into a terrible despair. And she thought to herself, I wish I could see my daddy. He's the person I most want to run to. But she went through a terrible wrestle that said, but supposing if I go to him, he just says, enough is enough. I can't be done with you anymore. And she's telling this story to the world amidst a glorious, all-together kind of funeral. And it was, you know, Thanksgiving. It was right to be. But she's telling this story. And um, in the end, she so wants to see her daddy. She gets in the car. She drives across the states. And if you know where Billy Graham lived, he lived up kind of the side of a mountain. And all the time on the way, she says that she was struggling, supposing he doesn't receive me when I get there because I've made such a mess supposing he just says, I can't be done with you. And so she drives up the hill in a car, and she gets towards the top with this dreadful struggle. I so want him, but he may not want me. How many of you know we're all born and created to be fathered to the very core of our beings? We all want desperately a dad who will think the world of us and hold us. And so she gets to the top, and it's a big flat area in front of his house. And as she steers in, she sees her daddy standing there. And as she opens the door and gets out, she's telling this story to the world. He moves towards her. He wraps his arms right around her. And he says, welcome home, darling. Welcome home. Why is she telling this story to the whole world? Because the very essence of the gospel of Jesus Christ is a massive ongoing invitation to anyone, anywhere, however far away they are. The invitation still is, will you come home? The very, uh, I love those stories, don't you? Not because they're emotional, but because they go right to the heart of what was going on in the cross. Just turn to a scripture, because otherwise you'll think I'm just being emotional. But I actually believe every day the Father is looking for anyone who he can somehow pull towards him to give them the ultimate arm of love around them that they deeply wish they could actually experience. Let's go to John 19. I forgot to look at the clock when I started. Is that really bad, isn't it? I'm going to feel it on my right here when Tim says, Would you stop? (laughs) John 19. Let's read about the cross. Uh, This is verse uh, um, 28. Later... Now, Jesus is on the cross, okay? He's been on the cross. Later, he's already spent time in this extraordinary agony, knowing that all was now completed. And so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. So he has a drink. A watch it. All was now completed. When he, verse 20, Rece- 30, sorry, uh, when he'd received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. I, I want to just highlight to you, if I may, three words that I think affect eternity forevermore. It is finished. <laughs> and a few Greek scholars know that word, teleo. Teleo, is that Okay. Because To, live, it means completely, completely complete. like you couldn't get more complete in what's been achieved. And so the work of the cross is not just, I suggest to you, not just to forgive us our sins, not just to give us a hope and a future, not just to introduce us to the wonder of knowing Jesus Christ. The ultimate gain of the cross of Jesus Christ is none other than to invite every human being to a massive homecoming party to a father who thinks the world of you, but everything inside us says, supposing he doesn't actually really receive me. And this lady, Ruth, in the funeral, came back to it, she said this to the whole world. Everybody thinks of my dad as the most amazing evangelist, and he was, in my view. But she says, I'm here to tell you that as a dad, I couldn't have wanted someone better to show you what my heavenly father's like. And so the cross, you know, when Jesus says, it is finished, There's nothing left that needed to be done and paid for to give me the chance to recover a profound relationship with a father who actually treasures me. And so isn't it not a surprise that as soon as he gave up his breath, what's the next thing that happened? Quiz. What's the next thing that happened as soon as he gave up his breath? Go on, somebody said it, say it. The the curtain tore in the temple that separated human beings from that profound relationship they long for. The curtain tore, but of course it tore from top to bottom. And this is just my imagination, forgive me, but I actually wonder whether the Father himself, who treasures you and I, just put his magnificent finger of love on the top of the 15-foot curtain and went... <laughs> and I wonder whether there was an eruption of joy in heaven. and I, you know, I don't think heaven's a quiet, only, forgive me, contemplative place, but I think it's uproarious as the Father do you know what he? I love your pictures. You know, is he angry? Is he smiling? there are deep concerns in the human heart about whether we will really be wanted, or somehow, I've had enough of you. You had your chance. It's just too much. And so that internal battle, I remember when the curtain is torn, it's like maybe all the angels of heaven just went crazy that from now on, the way's been made open. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the way. Ephesians 2 says this, for through him, for through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. These are foundational things, aren't they? But I spent the first 25 years of my life not knowing any kind of fathering from heaven at all. I knew Jesus, I knew the Holy Spirit, but I had no relationship with the true fathering that I'm only just beginning to enjoy more than ever that changes the whole way I live as a follower of Jesus. For you and I were made to be fathered every day. Second of our being. It's not like I'm trying to find a father. That's how I was made, and the cross is saying the way is open. All are welcome. All are welcome. But it has to be through Jesus. Let's go to 1 John 3 1. I gave these verses about two minutes before I spoke. Okay, this is so familiar. People put these verses on the fridge. It's no good being on the fridge if they're not experienced deep down in our hearts. How great is the love. Come on. How great is the love. The Father has lavished on us. It's probably a different version, is it? No, it's good. That we should be called his children. And I put it on the wall, and I put it on the fridge, and I put it in my journal. But I say, Oh, Holy Spirit, flood my very heart with a deepening encounter of being lavishly loved by a Father. How many of you would like more than you have? Is anybody here who'd like more than you have? Well, I don't know about that. Maybe. I'm reasonably comfortable. I'm desperate. Aren't you? I love what Tim's saying. We're just like, hey, we want more, Lord. We don't want to, no, I I don't think too much. Well, why does God use the word lavish? What kind of father could he be to say, how great is the love the father has lavished on us? Let me suggest to you that in a world where identity is completely unraveling, isn't it? It doesn't need a prophet to tell you, does it? In the world, identity is unraveling at a shocking pace. I suggest the only one that can give any human being their identity is the Father who made them. And without knowing him as a true Father, our whole identity is constantly being undermined. How great is the love? I mean, just to sit under that, and be lavishly loved by a father, how of you know it's the best, best thing your heart could drink from ever? <sighs> I'm looking at that clock. I've got 10 more minutes. <laughs> you sound relieved, you lot. <laughs> So why, why am I saying this is, I want to suggest to you, see, sometimes I think, oh, I'm trying to f- pursue more of God. I'm trying to find more of God. I want to suggest to you that fundamental, your, fundamentally your father is all the time pursuing more of you for himself. That's the biblical. He's actually pursuing you in everything going on. He simply wants to win your heart to love him and know him as a father more than you've ever done. And in my own journey, and this is often said, and I loved Tim's pictures, in my own journey, honestly, my struggle has been that my experiences of earthly father figures had so confused me about what a father is, I found it very difficult to separate those experiences from, well, what could he really be like if I didn't have those lenses, if you like, constantly interrupting me and saying, well, maybe he is angry. I mean, there's enough news around about God being an angry God to make you wonder, well, maybe, but maybe he is. Maybe. And so those pictures, those lenses of what his face is like, make it very difficult to get very close and intimate with him as a true dad. And some people say, you can't use the word dad. That's too familiar. Well, the problem is he is Almighty Father, but he's also Abba. And Abba is a very intimate word. And so those pictures that kind of, they they pull on us in the wrong way. I suggest they're like idols. They need exposing and demolishing so we're free to encounter him. Um, and so, so I, I my, you know, the conclusion of wrong pictures of God as a father are things like this. And Tim mentioned one of them. Like, like, like when you think of him, do you, these are some of the things I've wrestled with. You look so sanctified in this room. I'm nervous of confessing my sins. But, but these are some of the, you know, deep, deep. this is where we believe from, not here. We believe from the heart. We trust from the heart. And so my pictures were, well, maybe he's disappointed with me. Maybe he wishes I'd just do better. (laughs) You know your report card at school. These little inner images. Maybe he's actually really busy because he's got more important things than me. Maybe maybe he's had enough of me, Ruth Graham and Billy Graham. You know, maybe he's going to just turn away. They're horrible distorted, twisted images of the face of your heavenly father that gave every last drop of his son's blood to welcome the door open for you and say, come home now. Because all homecomings are celebrations when it's a father and a child. I find Luke 15 too much of a mystery to play around with that he would throw a party for someone who'd been very far away how do you know to be celebrated by a father is a million miles than being tolerated by a father and my inner sense for years was i guess he's tolerating me because well i've trusted in the cross and you know he has to have me but he you know it's like all right then you're allowed in, but don't come too close do you know those kind of feelings like and i read luke 15 and i think do you really celebrate me? I mean, I know my history. Do you really celebrate me? How great is the love the Father has lavished on you and me that we should be called his children? And so we are. Let me finish with this, says he optimistically. People say that with a microphone, don't they? Let me just finish with this. And you think, yeah, do you really mean it? Or are you going to go on another two points? Um, can can we just go to John 14 so you've got another scripture I'd like to pray today Holy Spirit will you keep revealing any wrong images of God that haunt our hearts would you reveal them so they can be wiped away put back on the cross and I can have a greater discovery just how good you are I don't want to sing songs that aren't true to me. Do you? Huh? Please, can you? I do. I love the songs, but I don't want to sing them if they're not really, actually invading my path of faith while I'm on the earth. I've heard a how does it go, James? A thousand stories of what they say. You're like, have I just murdered that song? But I've heard the tender whispers of God. In the dead of night, did you understand? That's an extraordinary thing. The world is saying a thousand things about what he's like, but when you are asleep on the bed, the Holy Spirit says, "Can I, can I invade you with a tender whisper of what he really thinks of you?" And you kind of "Is is that too much? And no, that's the truth of who he is to you and who you are to him. And John 14 says this, um, 7. This is so familiar, but I just want to explain something from it. John 14, <clears throat> verse 7. Mm. Oh, this is, the, you should read this every day almost, you know. No one comes to the Father except through me, which means that's the whole purpose he goes to the cross. If you really knew me, you would know my father as well. But from now on, you do know him and have seen him. Very puzzling. When's now on? Philip said, Lord, show us the father and that will be enough for us. What a stunner. I love Philip, don't you? How many of you think that's the prayer of all prayers? Oh, Jesus, show me the father and that will be enough for me to sort my life out because that's the whole axis I was born for, was to be fathered, not to live as an orphaned follower of Jesus. Show us the father. That word no, you, 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 Tim will have taught you this, won't he? Genosco. is that okay? Genosco? did I say that right? I'm looking at the Greek scholars around here. Genosco. See, let me just put it this way. You could, I, I can say to you, hey, do you know what? Um, I, I, I know a lot about Prince William. I've just thought of someone famous, okay? Just bear with me. I don't. This is a pretend. I know a lot about Prince William. In fact, I've read the stories about him. I've looked at the pictures. I watched the video. I replayed that newsreel. I saw the gossip article. I know so much about... And actually, one day I met Prince Philip or saw him in London. You think, hmm, I know a lot about Prince Philip, William, whoever I said. Oh goodness, no. okay, Let's stay. I know a lot about him. The truth is, however I know much about him, I still don't know him. And so the danger for any followers of Jesus is they know an awful lot about God as a father, but they've never really encountered him with his dazzling loving face, looking at you and me and saying, this is my daughter who I love, very personal. This is my daughter, who I love. I think the world of her. That's the whisper in the dead of night going into our hearts and saying, really? So genosko actually means this, a continuous and progressive experience of knowing him not knowing about him, but knowing him. It's complete, it's finished. Doors open, come on home and live with me and live loved by me. And every day you will discover the depth of who you really are. And the enemy's whisper will be silenced by the weight of a father's approval of who you are to him. Amen. Can I pray? Is that okay if I just... (laughs) It's like like asking permission, can I pray? (laughs) No, we don't pray here. (laughs) Would you like to stand for a minute? Would that be okay? I'd like just to pray... A kind of blessing on your journey. If there's any of you, you know, you think, hey, I'd like a bit more of that. I've, I've probably run around too much, but, you know, many of us have Philip's, Philip's cry in our hearts. Show me the Father, and that'll be enough. And I want you to remember Ruth Graham's story You're never too far off to encounter his kind of love. Father, I pray for us as we stand in your presence. If you want to put your hand on your heart or whatever way just to register, this is very personal. When Jesus said it's complete, it's been done for you. And Father, I pray for every one of our hearts, our journeys, our fumblings through. I pray, show us more of our Father to every one of us in these days. Lord, let the light go on. Let the whispers touch our hearts. Let us be moved over Easter. But I pray for a deepening discovery of what your face is like and how you see us. And I pray for some homecomings that are due now. In Jesus' name.